0: This morning's scripture is in Matthew chapter 24, verses 3 through 14. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray.
1: studying, but it has a, some similarity in that it's talking about the end of all things. what he, The question that is, Jesus says, is, so what does it look like at the end of time? Well, that's what Revelation, part of what it says is, so we're going to try to compare today, we're going to look throughout Scripture today for what what can we glean, because Revelation, if we just try to interpret it on its own, this apocalyptic literature, if you notice we read a psalm that was apocalyptic literature talking about the breathing nostrils of fire. I don't know if you were aware, but it, it's the same genre of literature, which is this poetic um, images. It's pictures, painting of pictures rather than words. It's all throughout Scripture. And Jesus, actually, it's about as close as he gets in Matthew 24. Later on in there, he talks about things riding on the winds, and it's, it has that apocalyptic feel in this chapter. It's called the Olivet Discourse because it was preached from the Mount of Olives. So um, before I do that, though, before I get in, there's something totally unrelated, but I just wanted to share with you. I had an experience this week where I was very frustrated with uh, something happening that I was just really stuck in. I hadn't seen any movement in an area, church-related, but my sort of job-related. And I was just feeling like, why is nothing happening, Lord? It's just been too long, and we're just dead in the water in this. And I had this sense from the Lord, as I was praying that, is that he sort of reminded me from several months before of something he I know I was supposed to do uh, a task I was supposed to do somewhat related to this but not completely and I have it on my to-do list I use Evernote to-do list and I don't know if you do it but I bump you know the things that don't get done on the last week's to-do list and this thing had gotten bumped week after week forward, it just fallen too far below the important ones. And the Lord sort of put his finger and said, until you do what I've already called you to do, don't expect me to continue to give this fresh word or things that you need. Not that I'm withholding, but if you're not going to be obedient in what I've told you to do. It was a very gentle, but a very direct sort of, exhortation It's something I would have said to my children, probably. Um, so I don't know if that's for anybody else who you think about it, but if you know there's whatever it is, a letter you're supposed to write, a phone call you're supposed to make, a, an action you're supposed to take, a word you're supposed to speak to someone, and you know that God has prompted you to do this, do it and see if it's not like a cork that unplugs other areas, related or unrelated. I don't know. But if any if that's I just felt like I should share that from my own I, disobedience is not too strong a word. I don't mean to overplay it, but I just want to tell you sort of my experience this week. Here's what happened, which was sort of the, the second part of this, is that literally this project had dead in the water for a couple of months. No movement. I, I'm not saying this is quid pro quo completely. The next day. I had a we had this real breakthrough in the area. The next day, after I don't know, it's been four months since nothing has happened. I did I did the thing that was on the list. I just said, I'm sorry, Lord, I repent, I do it. The next day, I I, I things really moved open. Again, I, I'm not trying to say, well, that's definitely gonna happen with you, but I'm just telling you that's what happened with me. Okay? So there's my there's sermon number one. All right. Revelation, we are going to, as I promised, we're covering 13 chapters in two weeks because this is the middle section of judgment and the action that the unrolling of the seals has seen. And rather than go verse by verse and try to tell you, well, this imagery of the dragon or the beast means this or that, I'm covering it in a wide, sort of a very quick way. But trying to draw a couple of things that I think we can identify and glean and live out, rather than just for intellectual exercise, try to say, well, this might mean this or this might mean that. So I'm covering um, kind of 12 through 18-ish today, but obviously I'm looking tons out. But what I want to talk about is what does Jesus say because Jesus is again giving John the vision in Revelation what does he say on that Olivet discourse about what it's going to look like as our earth begins to our and begins to wind down what does Jesus say things are going to look like here so let me just point out I have five things that that are both found in Revelation in the pictorial sense, but Jesus gives us in a narrative, which many of you will like that sort of more direct narrative than these, uh, you know, like drip pictures that are just really wild. So here are the things that Jesus says will come at the end. Uh, And I'll give you the verse. These are all from Matthew chapter 24. In verse 24, he says, People come and attempt to lead other people astray by claiming to be divinely inspired or to be from God. Guys, there's no shortage of people in our world or in their world who claim to speak on behalf of God, who claim to have insight. And those who are unpacking faithfully God's word, we can trust. And we, but even that says like good Bereans, we examine for ourselves and we hear the Holy Spirit ourselves. We listen and affirm, but that many will come saying, I am the Christ. I have the spirit of Christ in me. They'll, they may say it in a lot of ways. And the Bible says we need to be cautious and put, the, to put many of the people who say they speak on behalf of God aside. Not everyone who claims to do that are. I know that's not news to most of you, but it is amazing when you watch people who claim to speak on behalf of God, how many people will stand and cheer and affirm that? And so God says that is a marking of the end times. Now, it's always been, but my guess is that we're going to see it increase. Verses six through eight of Matthew 24, there will be increased calamity on the earth. Now, what does that mean exactly? I mean, we've had some pretty horrendous times we've had world wars and holocausts and purges and it's it's not like it's unheard of in the history of the world but look at what jesus says there's wars and rumors of wars don't be alarmed nation will rise against nation kingdoms against kingdom famine earthquakes maybe we'll look around and we'll read our newspapers or look on the internet or whatever we get our news from and we'll think whoa it's getting worse Yeah, it will. It will. The the earth will rock and reel. Is it now? Is it 10 years from now? I don't know. But we can look on on our news feeds and see what I think the, the Scripture speaks of. So, increased calamity on the earth. Number three, increasing intensive persecution of believers. Now, is it new? Revelation speaks of this. We're going to talk about Nero a little bit today, who was just, you know, had a vendetta against Christians and was a madman. But you look at the persecution and and the people who monitor such things will tell you that there is more martyrdom and persecution among Christians today than in the history of, of the world. Look at Voice of the Martyrs or other websites of that. So. Um, Does that mean we're in the end times? Yes, because he's coming soon. I can't tell you a day or a time, but Jesus says intense persecution of believers. We in this country are shielded from it still in many ways. I know we feel the darkness coming, but we have it easy, guys, compared to much of our world. So uh, that's not a good or bad thing. It just was what it is. That's verse 9. There'll be intense, intensive, increasing persecution of people of faith. And this one's hard for me to even talk about because I see it so personally in verse 10. Again, we're still in Matthew chapter 24. Many will fall away, betray one another and hate one another. I don't know about you, but as I've walked with the Lord for 45ish years now, I watch many, many, many people who used to claim to be Christians who no longer do. And some are the most antagonistic and and you know trying to debunk the faith or whatever you want to say. I see I see it increasing, and it grieves me horribly because some of these are close friends. I mean, not people I love dearly, but they have decided for one reason or another that this faith is not for them. It is doesn't make sense for whatever reason. You think, well, how can this be? Last man, I'm going to be the last man standing. The Bible says many will fall away the love of many will grow cold. We can, you know, I weep, I mourn over it, I pray for and try to love on, and the end of, for them, I pray that they would be drawn back to love Jesus and to not get sidetracked with all these things. But guys, this is, the way is narrow that leads to life. If we think that, oh man, everybody's going to get it, and we're just going to see everybody on the whole earth is just going to, figure out that loving Jesus and finding salvation is the way. And I just, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll be on the winning team. You will, but it'll be a small team. The way is narrow, Jesus says, and few are those who find life. You want to know how, why? It's hard. It is way easier to go with the flow and to just go with whatever the world says. And this, again, Revelation, Babylon is the world. And it's really easy. If you don't want to have a lot of problems, affirm everything Babylon affirms. They will, it'll be fine. Generally, they'll leave you alone. If you decide to say, I lovingly and, you know, don't have to be a jerk about it, but lovingly, I affirm what the scripture teaches. Don't expect to be loved by the world. Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. This is revelation. This is what he teaches in Matthew. Uh, It's all throughout the Old Testament as well. We'll we'll talk about that in in just a bit. So, intense this is all under number three things. Intense persecution of belief. Fall away. And I'm reminded of that line from the old song. It's not exactly a hymn. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And guys, if you're going to follow to the end, because this is the third part of number three, endurance to the end will be saved you have just got to set yourself to not turn back to just i'm going to walk it to the end no matter what i tell people people say how can i keep from getting divorced i'll say there's one you want to know the sure way here's a sure way not to get divorced don't get divorced (laughs) i'm just telling you there are times when you will want to there were times when you will say this is too hard i want to exit and i'm not saying there aren't there aren't some biblical reasons for divorce. There are. The Bible says it. But I'm, I'm not trying to be glib. But if you want a formula, just don't do it. Just walk in the way of the Lord. If you want to not turn back from following Jesus, then put yourself in Jesus' hands and don't turn back. The cross before me, the world behind me. If you turn around and face the world, you'll run for the world. That's what... The Bible says that's why Lot's wife, right? She told her assault. She turned around to look back at what she left behind. Those who thought about Egypt and thought, oh, we had those, we had great food in Egypt. They run right back to Egypt. Those who looked for the, the desert and looked toward it, but they saw the presence of a living God. There was no food. There was no water. There was nothing but God. And they said, the cross before me, the world behind me, wasn't the cross then, but it was the presence of a living God. The end of time, as, as our world grows darker, and again, I'm not saying, I don't know when the end of all things is, but it's going to be hard and lovely because the presence of Jesus will be with us. And super hard because the presence of evil comes against us. Number four. Uh, well, I've already said it, but I'll just reiterate. This is from verse 13. Persevere or endure to the end. You, you know how to finish a marathon? Run a really, really, really short marathon. I can, I can finish a marathon of about 50 yards. I'm all good, right? The only way you finish a marathon is just to finish the thing, even when you're hurting. Persevere to the end. Persevere. Don't give up. Never give up from the book of Winston Churchill. Never give up! Revelation 13, 9 through 10. I do want to go back for this one because in the midst of when Jesus is encouraging people while things are getting really bad and we've seen now a dragon and two beasts in this apocalyptic vision, awful things happening on the earth through probably individuals who are causing uh, tremendous problems says uh, this word from the lord in the midst of this uh, verse 9 chapter 13 of revelation if anyone has an ear let him hear if anyone is to be taken captive then to captivity he goes if anyone is to be slain with the sword with the sword he will be slain guys that is not fairy tale stuff that is reality And here's what it says. Here is a call for endurance and faith for every saint. Endure, guys. It'll be worth it. And number five, this is from back in Matthew 24, verse 14. says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole earth as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Here's the beauty of it is that you may think i i am scared of living through difficulty and trial and enduring and staying in stuff when it's really hard i get that you will miss the beauty of the gospel going to every person and the gospel changes everything now there's going to be many who will reject it as we already talked about but you're going to have the opportunity to see people's lives radically changed if You stay with the gospel because before the end, it's not. And it's going to be so horrible. The last thing Jesus says is the beauty of the gospel is going to transform the earth and then the end. The next couple of weeks, I'm going to slow down in the last couple chapters because we're going to see. You want to know what heaven's like? Bible tells us a lot more than we think it does. And it's nothing like you think it is Probably. And we're going to look in these last couple chapters at what, when the end of things comes, what it's going to be like, because I think the Bible has such encouragement for us. So as we look again, we're going to go back to Revelation now. Um, And as these same themes have been unpacked in Revelation of what the end is looking like and the calamities and these, uh, at first there's like seals unwrapped and then trumpet sound and bowls of judgment. There's just awful thing comes upon us. I want us to look at what did it mean in the first century. And I don't think you can read Revelation without understanding Nero because Nero took it upon himself to target Christians. Now, this was written decades after Nero. But do you know that in the Roman world... Especially the northern part of the Roman world, there was a rumor that Nero was going to be resurrected. Now Nero became emperor, the most powerful person in that part of the world at 17 years old. He committed suicide at 28 years old.? He's okay? a young person. And he was noted for being cruel. I mean, he killed his wife, his mother, and his brother, Just for starters. He was paranoid. He probably had all sorts of, of delusional fantasies as well as probably mental illness. But he also had uh, incredible power, and he took it upon himself to be so brutal to Christians that it's hard for me to even talk about. I mean, you could say they threw Christians to beasts in the arena, put them in the gladiatorial games, used them as human torches to light the way to the games. I mean, Christians, you just... just he, he took a burning of Rome when he almost, most historians think he started the fire himself. I mean, there's all sorts of things. But there was a rumor that he was resurrected and that Nero was coming again. And as a matter of fact, you can read it, Google it, do whatever. There's three different people who claimed to be the resurrected Nero and coming to help Get Rome, you know, back to where it was. And so this is swirling all around because like any dictator, he had his people who thought he was great and he did so much damage. But in the psyche of the first century people, Christians, to have Nero rise back up. Now, in this passage, we have the infamous talks about the the Antichrist, there is a dragon in verse twelve, uh, chapter twelve of Revelation, and then in verse thirteen, there's a dragon and two, two as the the Antichrist, and this guy who demands worship of himself, and there's all sorts of you know, literature and movies and and the number what's the number of the beast? This beast six six six, right? So. So let me let me just give you. I think I've promised this from before. So, um, the in addition to Nero, who people thought you know he was the Antichrist because sees. If you take the the alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet, and you can they did gematria is numerology. So you take it and add numbers. There's a certain number that corresponds to every vowels it's like saying a is one and z is 26 and we add up the names so that you know john martin becomes you know ha- howdy duty or something it's like you you put and add the numbers together and say well john martin and howdy Duty both add up to 426 because we just add the numbers so if you put caesar nero together it's 666 that's just you add them up but you can make it work with a lot of different things let me tell you who the antichrist has been um Okay, so the Antichrist. Napoleon, Henry Kissinger, Mikhail Gorbachev, every president since 1940 except Gerald Ford. (laughs) Juan Carlos I of Spain was a big proponent in the 50s. He seemed like a really nice guy to me, but whatever. Danny DeVito. People added the name up or whatever. Um, There are, and then of course you have, dates of our day. Here's what I'm saying is that I think we waste time and we're missing the point. Here's what I want to think the point is. The number for God throughout all scripture is seven. He is perfect. Anything tripled is holy, 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 that kind of thing is the perfection of perfection. So God would be seven, seven, seven. It says in this verse, as we're looking at who the, the number of the beast and what it is, and that's, you find it in uh, Revelation 13, chapter 18. It says, This calls for wisdom, because if you don't have this, let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is a number of man. The number is 666. Six, six. six would be considered a number of man, imperfection. Made in the image of God, close to God, but not God. Where do you get the mark according to this? Do you know? right? You get it forehead, it says, and on your arm. That's where, and that's in just in the verses before that. You can't buy or sell if you don't get this mark. And, you know, maybe it literally will happen. I have a feeling, though, this is just me. This isn't from the Bible. But, like, that's pretty blatant. Like, do you really think, like, is it going to be that obvious? You know, like, everybody's got to go down to the office and get it. Maybe. But here's what I want to say. If it is, I think, I hope we would be wise enough to recognize it. If it is, would you please not do that? <laughs> really? I mean, just don't, because the pressure will be there. I I, I mean, I know it sounds funny, but you know people will and justify it. But here's what I want to say. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Uh, sorry, chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Because I want to give you the principle. Whether or not there's a literal of this or not, we don't know. If you think you know for sure, I would ask you to just stay humble. Look at what God says to Israel. This is the Shema, the the word that bases all of Israel's identity is based out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning at chapter 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You, how many gods are there? One. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Listen now, you're going to talk about the word of God when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. Put them as a sign on your hand. Write them on the frontlets between your eyes. I want to suggest to you that as an overall principle, you either are going to write the principles and the, the word of this world on yourself. And you're going to identify with that or you're going to identify and put the word of God as frontlets between your eyes. The same places that says the beast will try to write his mark on you is where the word of god says it should that should mark you what does that mean what well, means the priorities of your life how you see the world how you process truth how you live your life is going to be marked by having a mark of one of those two practically speaking how does that work out well I'll just tell you, just from our perspective as people who've, you know, raising kids, is that you, probably we're the only parents who ever got this question. But dad, mom, why can't we do that? Everybody else does it. Now you probably have never heard that, but you might one day. Why can't we watch this or do this or whatever? And here's the answer we often gave: is that we're different. We're McGowans. We're different. Get used to it. We're not like everybody else. You're different. If you want to be loved and like everybody else, you'll have to wait until you're, you know, earning your own money or whatever it is. So you're different and praise God for the difference. And as we grow in this, we're going to see we want to write on the frontlets between your eyes and on your hands the Word of God, which will last forever because there won't be room for any other numbers. (laughs) There won't be room for anything else. You're already marked. When we baptize people, we say, this is a sign and a seal that you are Christ's own forever. You know where we put that, right? You'll watch me draw this on the forehead. You're Christ's own forever. There's no room for the mark of this world. It's a struggle for sure. The world the siren call of the world will drive you to the rocks. Two other thoughts as we close. In uh in chapter fourteen, as the beasts this is Revelation chapter fourteen, as the beast beasts and the dragon are making war on the earth, there's another army that's raised up. Chapter 14, I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion, that's Jerusalem, stood the Lamb with him, 144,000. Again, the numerology and the number of, you know, some groups take it as a literal 144,000. I don't know. I'm just, there is a perfection in that number because of the way it's put together. I won't spend time going into that, but you can look up 144,000 is one of those special numbers. Um, With him, 144,000 who had his name and his father's name were written on their foreheads. There's a stark choice. Are are we going to come out of Babylon or embrace Babylon? There are two harvests talked about in chapter 14, right after these verses. The first harvest is a wheat harvest where true believers... Who are marked by having God's word in them. And then there's a grape harvest. People, it says, are intoxicated with the world. And they're harvested. And then like grapes, they're stomped on and done. God is going to make all things right. He's not going to let what is corrupting you who he loves forever. The question is, will you hold on to it? And here's the amazing thing. Is that even as... These judgments are coming, and God is weaning away. If you've got your Bible open, this is back a little bit, Revelation 9:20. This is as the judgments are coming down, and things are really getting hard on the earth. And here's what it says: The rest of mankind, the ones who weren't killed by the plagues, and these were the, we're going to talk about the plagues here as we close, they would not repent of the works of their hands they wouldn't give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood and circuits, which cannot see, no, no circuits, but we have our idols too. We cannot see or hear or walk. No, they would not repent of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immorality or their thefts. In other words, God in His mercy Says, I'm, I'm going to give you a chance. I have to let you see what happens when you go your own way, and many will decide I'd rather have that to my destruction. We see that over and over again that hearts get hardened rather than softened. Though some will repent, I'll just verse six uh, chapter sixteen, verse nine. After the fourth bowl of of. Horrible um, fire on the earth, scorched by fierce heat. Those who suffered this, it says, cursed the name of God who had this power. They would not repent. They would not give him glory. They cursed, this is verse 11, they cursed the God of heaven. Because of the pains and sores, they didn't see. They wouldn't repent. They wouldn't see that God was trying to get their attention. They just cursed to the God they say they don't believe in. Finally, and I've talked about this before, but I'm just going to close with this thought. In the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls, all throughout these chapters that I've done a real skimming over, all these judgments echo what happened in the plagues of Egypt. Uh, If you want, I I have a sheet that summarizes all this. I won't belabor it, but let me just run through quickly. The the blood, the Nile was turned into blood, Revelation 8, 8 and 9. Same thing, uh, the, the rivers are turned into blood. Uh, the frogs, you know, the frog uh, plague. Egypt, Revelation sixteen thirteen. The uh, frogs come. Uh, you know, there's just there's only two of the ten plagues that there's really no. You know, like corresponding in Revelation. But pestilence, boils, hailstones. We even saw in the psalm today, it talked about large hailstones coming down. Locusts, darkness, the death of the firstborn. All these are echoed in Revelation. The thing I want to say is this. Why why did the plagues come on Egypt and why 10 and why the increasing number? Is it like God was kind of putting the screws to them and said, maybe this one will do it. Maybe this one will get their attention. Well, it's something more than that, right? These The Egyptians and Pharaoh were persecuting God's people. They had enslaved them. They worshipped the Nile River, the frog gods. There's a frog god and goddess. A lot of these were things they had idolized and made more important than God. And God says, all right. Let's see. Let's see who's for real. So he takes the Nile and ruins it. He takes the frogs and says, you like your frog gods? How about frogs everywhere? Over and over and over again, what he's doing is saying, the Lord God is one. There is one God. That God isn't it. I'm afraid in our day... We think we're it. I think we think we, we have the right to say what's right and wrong, to choose for ourselves. I'm not sure we think we worship frogs and nature. Some people kind of probably do. But I think we've decided we're God. And that's, we're back in just after Eden. Remember, that's how Eden ended. When Adam and Eve says, no, I, I know which fruit to eat. I'm, I'll be okay, God. Thanks for your suggestion. And they left Eden. And remember, there's that flaming sword. Somebody's got to take the blow of the sword so we can get back to Eden. Because we and Adam and Eve decided we know better. And as Jesus takes the sword for us, we're going to see next week what it's going to be like when we get to be back walking with God in the cool of the garden. And it is cool. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank You for Your Word. This is a lot. I know it's been a fire hose a bit of of imagery and of things, but Lord, we want to take the reality check, Lord, to not think that, oh, uh, it won't be that hard for us. You'll keep us from hard things. Lord, You don't. You don't keep us from hard things. You tell us to endure. But Lord, if You took the cross for us, Lord, there's nothing, there's nothing we can't do. Lord, because you have made a way. If we don't love our lives even unto death, Lord, we don't see death as the thing to really be afraid of. Lord, if we fear you, we fear nothing else. So Lord, make us a congregation and a church Worldwide, Lord, not just us, who serve and love nothing but God. That we don't hate anybody or anything except sin. Lord, and that we're willing to go all the way, never turning back, Lord, but to follow You till our last breath. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me as we close, please?